following podcast is brought to you by Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Disclaimer, this podcast is about to spoil several movies from 6 to 20 years old. Lou, read off the list. Today, Robots vs. Dinosaurs will be spoiling for you, the listener, Problem Child, Curly Sue, Ace Ventura, War Games, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Jurassic World, Battle at Big Rock, The Princess Bride, Final Destination, Power Rangers, Alien vs. Predator, Theodore Rex, Tanny and the T-Rex, and Beethoven. Uncle Martin, save me. I'm thinking it over. Hello and welcome to Robots vs. Dinosaurs, the podcast where we watch a movie every week and then try to determine which one is cooler, or in this case, I guess which one is worse, robots or dinosaurs. I'm your host, Louis G, and with me as always is my co-host, a returning co-host. You've heard him on at least four episodes at this point, Jason Carubia. Welcome, Jason. Thank you for having me again for the fourth time. Thank you. Glad, glad, to, glad to have you back. Is my count accurate? You've been on, we've covered some wild movies. We've covered Flight of the Navigator. Uh, you were on that holiday episode with the J-Boys. Yep. What else? And we did My Science Project. My Science, and Star Kid. Star Kid was the fourth it's one. Star Kid. <laughs> yes. Oh, so this is probably, was it, yeah. The, wow. My Science Project, Flight of the Navigator, Star Kid, and the holiday episodes. This is number five. Oh, my God. And so, so Jason, why don't you tell the audience the fifth movie that you and I are discussing on Robots vs. Dinosaurs. So, Lou, uh, I said to Lou, uh, Luigi, I said to him, I said, Luigi, I need a win here. Um, <laughs> we have to do a podcast. I've been having a rough time. We had a hurricane come through. I had some troubles at work. And... Uh, and Lou said, yeah, let's do it. Let's do a podcast. What do you want to do, Terminator 2? And I said, no, we're going to do Clifford. <laughs> and uh, Clifford is a movie made in 1990, but wasn't released until 1994 oh because of some bankruptcy issues with Orion Pictures. Yeah, really? Um, you, they weren't just like giving it time to ripen, like just waiting for the right moment to release it? Like, yeah, like a fine wine or, or aged <laughs> cheese. This movie was shelved for four years. God. Um, but... Gosh, this is this is one of the worst movies or one of the best movies, depending on who you're talking to. It's a polarizing film. I I was having a conversation with someone just an hour ago, and they're like, "Oh my god, you're doing Clifford? Wow, that's a great, that's a cult classic." And I said, "What? <laughs> Wait, you, I, you like this movie? <laughs> I didn't hate it as and, much as I expected to. This was my first time watching it, and I didn't hate it as much as I expected to hate it. It's a wild movie. It's." It is is bonkers, and uh, it's surprising how many people love it. Just mm. just go bananas for it. Uh, uh, my my girlfriend Rochelle, she was talking to some friends as well at work, and and they're like, "Oh my god, you're doing Clifford! I love that movie!" And you you, you kind of, I mean, it's it's kind of one of those things that you look at someone a, a, a second time and and kind of judge them a little bit. Like mm -hmm. I'm questioning your decisions in life. If this is one of your favorite movies, um, and, and I'm yeah, glad, it's in, I'm glad that you mentioned T two because I do want our listeners to be aware that this you could be holding in your hands a uh, a, a Terminator two episode, but instead we are giving you Clifford from 1994. 
<laughs> we're, we're giving um, you a steaming turd of a movie, and not just any <laughs> steaming turd. This is one you're going to lunch one day, you know, in the middle of your work day, and you go out to the park and and you try to sit down on a little park bench, and you see a this is a nice steaming turd sitting on the side of the park bench that's been aging there for at least two years. And then uh, that's and that's then you and then you too. unwrap you unwrap your sandwich that you brought for lunch, and instead of a sandwich, it's a turd. <laughs> So you have a double turd. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's the expectations are there of deliciousness, but it is nothing but <laughs> sandwich turd. <laughs> I also want to be clear that there is a movie uh, coming out later this year called Clifford based on what I think everybody uh, immediately associates with when you hear Clifford, which is the big red dog. I just want to be clear. Right. This is this is not that movie. There- <laughs> <laughs> there is there is a dog in this movie, and I have a big old question about that when we get to lose big three. Um, but let's talk a little bit about uh, I want to kind of get a synopsis of the movie. So the this is directed by Paul Flaherty, uh, who I think his most notable other work that I saw. I don't I really actually haven't seen any of his other movies, but when I, I clicked on his uh, IMDb, he was a writer for like the Tracy Ullman show and SCTV yeah. and the Muppets. So he's like sort of a sketch writer. And I think that's very yeah. evident. We're going to like, when we talk about this movie, it's kind of a series of sketches, right? Yeah. In the internet, of course, has found this movie after 30 years and they are celebrating it because a lot of the sketches are improvised. Uh, mm. A couple of the scenes that, that were going on, you know, the actors you know, improvised um, their lines their dialogues. They had a general idea or feel. Okay. Um, yeah. I will say, yeah, Martin Short is Martin Short is the star, along with uh, Mary Steenburgen and, of course, Charles Grodin. And I got to say, like, Martin Short is obviously a comedy genius. He's a legend in the comedy world. The, and there's few people that can match his energy, his timing, uh, his focus. You know, it's, it's like mm-hmm. the, the trifecta in the 90s was was uh, Robin Williams, um, Martin Short and Billy Crystal. You know, the three of them just going, you know, toe to toe as who could out out funny each other. Uh, and, and this you'd think this would be one of his best, considering he's carrying the entire film. That's the and thing. Yeah, Martin. Do, I do get a chuckle off it. Like when I first turned on the movie to rewatch it, you know, I, I, I turned to Rochelle and I was just giggling because it's just so silly. Uh, we have a, a grown man playing a 10 year old. And I, again, if yes. you're going to see, if you're expecting to see Clifford, the big, big red dog, you're in for a big disappointment seeing a grown man who's pushing 40 playing a 10 year old. <laughs> he does wear a big red suit. <laughs> Um, <laughs> right, he, he, but he doesn't even look. He doesn't even look ten years old. It's obvious. No, he it's doesn't. Martin Short. They, they, I found out they had like they had the other actors standing on milk crates a lot in in scenes where they, they were they with him. And oh yep. my god, it's just the conceit of this movie. Uh, it <laughs> Martin Short is usually not the star of anything. He's usually a scene stealer, and I I think that is where he is best utilized. And this movie, I think, is a great example of why it doesn't quite work when Martin short is in charge of the whole movie. Cause it, it, cause his energy is like, it, like a, like Jupiter, like it has so much gravity. <laughs> it just sucks in everything around it. Um, I don't want to say a black hole cause that sounds negative. Like I love what Martin short does, but he just creates this, this sphere of mania and you can't escape its velocity. Um, so, like, I don't know. It, 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 am I am I making sense? Like, do you think this movie works on its face, or do you think it has issues? 
Well, it is comedy madness. You're right about that. Uh, it, 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 it would have probably uh, done better with a little bit more writing. Uh, just, just ran it a little bit. Maybe some of the plot holes wouldn't have, you know, appeared. Uh, we, we would have definitely had a, a better movie, which surprisingly is PG. Jason, uh, maybe I have a weird, it wasn't have I have a weird argument. For four years. I think it's actually, I think there needs to be more plot holes. Like I, <laughs> I, I was thinking about this, like when he, I, I do, I think that there's like, there's certain details that they sort of gloss over and certain like parts of the story, they skip ahead. But I th- I would have thought it would be very funny if like when the because the concept is how he's telling the story to Ben Savage. And if there were more like discrepancies in his story, I thought that could have been a good, a, a funny like motif or a funny theme in the movie. Um, so I, I, right. I, I would argue for more plot holes. All right. Well, so let's get into it. Let's get into the general plot of this movie. Yes. Um, Why don't you give us a synopsis of what we saw? <laughs> quick synopsis. So uh, we, we, we have an intro of, of uh, uh, Ben Savage as a young kid hating school. <laughs> He's, I guess, at a boarding school. The year is 2050. So Wait, it's the did future. They do this be- did they do this because of the Princess Bride did this? Is that why they did? And literally it's a, the other, the younger Savage brother. It, it, I'm not sure if they did it for the reasoning the, that because Princess Bride did it. I think it was just a clever device that they just copied. Okay. You know? Uh, okay. And, and so Ben Savage is a kid. He wants to run away from Catholic school, this boarding Catholic school, mm. uh, the year 2050. Um, one of the... <laughs> priests of uh, father clifford daniels comes over to him and tries to persuade him to sway uh, persuade him to sit, stay and change his ways and he tells him a story from his own like childhood to get him to do so uh and so flashback to the year 1990 um again this movie was released in 1994 mm-hmm. uh, it was released after jurassic park but made before jurassic park so we have to set this in the dinosaur world of Dinosaurs weren't super culture uh, after Jurassic Park when it was made, but absolutely after it was released, it was kind of released in vanity of, of Jurassic Park. Um, but we talk, he, we are introduced to a 10-year-old child named Clifford mm-hmm. who has a toy dinosaur named Stefan um, that he takes everywhere. And he talks to Stefan in, in these like a little asides throughout the entire film. Um, I think one of the catchphrases, mission accomplished, uh, old friend mm-hmm. is the catchphrase that he uses many times. Yep. Um, so he's he's brought to uh, he he is on a flight, I guess, uh, to go somewhere with his parents. Um, uh, but he want he actually almost downs the plane because the plane won't land in California at a theme park called Dinosaur World. So this child uh, makes it a point to cr- commit an act of terrorism. <laughs> and uh, and it lands this plane. Uh, Richard Kind plays his, his father. Mm. Jennifer Savage plays the mother. Uh, and uh, that brings us now to uh, uh, a, a, a runway a terminal. Oh, no, a plane, ter- an airport terminal with them, you know, trying to manage this you know, unruly child. And, and Charles Grodin and Mary Steenburgen uh, back in California, uh, who are who are who we have to go into, I guess there's. Uh, Charles Grodin is a city planner. Yep. And yep. Mary Charles. Steenburgen is a, I guess, a daycare teacher. Yeah, Charles Grodin is working on creating a rail system, a public transit system for LA, which would have been a dream if if, uh, if Clifford didn't ruin it. And Mary Steenburgen runs the daycare job, yeah. at the office building where 
uh, Charles Grove, where the dad from Beethoven works. The dad from Beethoven. And this is pre-Beethoven. This was mm-hmm. made, but was released post-Beethoven. So this is, yeah, this is like bridging Beethoven. Um, but yeah, so Charles Grodin uh, play, uh, plays this city planner uh, who, who tells Mary Steenburgen in that, you know, that she, he loves kids uh, and he wants to have kids eventually, but he decides to buy a house on a cliff <laughs> to, 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 as, a, as a symbol of his, of his dedication to her. And, and uh, Mary Steenburgen has his wonderful lines. Where are the kids going to go play out on the cliff? <laughs> and uh, so, so it comes out that the only thing that he ha- he has to find a way to uh, explain that he loves kids and kids. He's very endearing to kids and warms warms up to kids. And one day we'll they'll have kids. Yeah, because well, because so, he loves his nephew, who's uh, named uh, mm, I want to say Mason. Mason, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mason couldn't be farther from Clifford. Yeah. Uh, so they hadn't seen, he hadn't seen Clifford since his christening, of course, which is mm-hmm. way back when you're an infant. So he has no idea how Clifford is now and how he's, how he's a, uh, a terrorist. A terrorist. <laughs> uh, so serendipitous, serendipitously, uh, he gets a phone call from his brother, Richard Kind, uh, saying, hey, we've, we've landed here. We're stranded here in California. Um, would it be okay if you watched Clifford for the weekend while we go to Honolulu for a business trip? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and Charles Grodin's character, Martin, you know, uh, jumps on the opportunity. like, yes, yes, let's do this. Yes. I love Clifford. And, uh, and then he goes and picks him up at the airport and brings him back to his house. And now he has to watch this, this child for the preceding next couple of days, um, before uh, before they return and that's the setup essentially of the film uh but that's not how it ends <laughs> yeah so the the actual opening is the opening sequence is this like text on screen from the beginning of time children have dreamed of exciting and perilous adventures although the adventures are exciting for the child they can be perilous for the adults this is one such story and oh um, now, I'm really glad that you told me the detail that this movie was filmed in 1990, because do you know what other movie came out in 1994? Um, it's a dinosaur movie. It uh, Actually, I'm sorry, it came out in 95, and it's a dinosaur movie. It's been covered on this podcast, and it literally starts with the same exact words, Once upon our, our tale begins once upon a time in the future. Oh, no. No, is it, is it Tammy the T-Rex? Close, it's Theodore Rex. Theodore Rex, okay. Yeah. So, so Whoopi Goldberg. Because mm. I was wondering Amazing. which came first, because they're they're literally using the exact same wording. Once upon a time yeah. in the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. <laughs> we get like these these images of these like drawing, these storybook drawings of Clifford as a caveman, still wearing a tie, but riding on the back of a dinosaur. Uh, then one where he's like fighting medieval knights, riding on the back of a dinosaur. He's always riding on the back of a dinosaur. Um, the next one, he's like a pirate. He's fighting sea monsters. Then he's a cowboy. Then he's a jazz age gangster shooting at cops. <laughs> then he's in space. Right. <laughs> and then finally, just like in a field with a butterfly, which is the image that they they fade to of him as an old priest or like a cardinal. I don't know. Like he's wearing like black and red robes. Um at the yeah, Wayward yeah, Boysville. 
in the year 2050. <laughs> Clifford goes to uh, definitely some some changes of occupation throughout his entire life, eventually landing with with being a, a, a in in a Catholic school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it's like they it's like the they were they sat down and they thought, okay, this kid is a monster. What's the what's the most opposite thing that that he could become? Like, there's no. I don't think they put too much thought into like what kind of profession would Clifford have. It's just like, yeah, what w- what's the last thing you'd expect this guy to go do when he grows up? Right. Well, I also think the irony is that you know his parents are are you know kind of always in other films the, the cliche Jewish characters, and he becomes a mm. Catholic priest. That that's always funny. That's yeah. <laughs> 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 um, okay, Jason. Before we get into, before we get into our discussion, I have got we already had the, the discussion. Wait, what do you mean? Well, I mean before we get into like breaking down, I, I should say like breaking down every every beat of the movie. Um, I've oh, got okay. th- I've got three big. Qu- okay, you know I, I'm going to cut that. I've got three big questions about this movie. <laughs> uh, as we're I, let, let me say as we're getting into this, I have three big questions I want to ask. So. This is time for our new segment called Lose Big Three. Jason, can you cue the music? Lose Big Three, it's you and me. We're going to have fun with Lose Big Three. (laughs) All right, everybody, this is Lose Big Three. Lose Big Three, number one. Uh, When the plane lands, when Richard Kind, the exasperated, eternally exasperated Richard Kind, um, is uh, in the airport and they're... They're unloading Clifford onto his uncle. Um, there is a bit where a bunch of people are asking about their stuff at like baggage claim. And <laughs> like smash cut to Clifford in uh, in Charles Grodin's car and he has all of their stuff. One of those things is a dog. And, and the character that's like talking to the baggage claim person, I heard, I wrote this down because I heard them ask like, Somebody stole my dog's sneakers. Somebody stole my dog. And then somebody stole my my stereo and something else. And I thought that they were saying they stole my dog's sneakers as if, like, the dog has <laughs> pair, two pairs of shoes, I guess, and somebody stole them. We later find out that's the name of the dog. Somebody stole my dog sneakers. And then they're just repeating it. And we see, like... We see that we see this dog in the car, but, but Jason, my big question is, what happens to sneakers after this? Where does this dog end up by the end of the movie? I don't know. I don't yeah. know where sneakers and I, it, it upsets me because I, I would be so so upset if someone stole my dog, let alone a dog named Sneakers, which is adorable. He steals the dog just because. Just because Who does that a just sociopath, because. Clifford. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I never go anywhere without my dog sneakers. Oh my god! Oh my gosh! Okay, lose big three number two. Uh, uh, what was after Charles Grodin gets fired from being a city planner? We find out later, according to Clifford, according to his story that he's telling Ben Savage, that uh, Charles Grodin ends up being fine and he ends up marrying Mary Steenburgen. But what kind of job do you think he got after he got after he had a mental breakdown? <laughs> like on, in front of a news crew and blew up his model for the the public transport for LA. Yeah, there's no coming back from that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what type of model explodes suddenly uh, with fireballs. I mean, this must have been laced with 
with dynamite or something. It was it was a, some intense pyrotechnics from this small little train set that they had going around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't I don't know what type of job he he'd get. Most likely he would get prison time. So maybe <laughs> this was some type of work release, I guess, out of prison. Okay. He also, I mean, uh, 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 he goes full serial killer at the end of the movie. Charles Grodin, once the 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 model explodes and his his big unveiling of the city planning goes down, he he goes full serial serial killer and takes Clifford to uh to the theme park. And we have to I guess go back and talk about not only ha- is he a city planner, but he's designed uh, a ro- a theme park ride called Larry the Scary Rex. Yeah, it just uh, so this, happens that this thing that that Martin Short is obsessed with, that Clifford is obsessed with, it just so happens that his uncle is the one that designed it. Yeah, yeah. Larry the Scary Rex uh, is a, a amusement park ride, kind of like uh, it. It's a small world, but it's a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And if you've actually ever been on Dinosaur the Ride at in Disney World, or it's it's virtually that ride, mm. except it's a little more comical with a big T Rex coming out at the end that'll scare you. Yep. Um, it, it named Larry the Scary Rex. Which, uh, but that, he goes full that serial was killer. Effective. The way that they to, did that, like the the T Rex rising up behind him, and then the ride, like the the cart spins around. Like that was actually kind of cool looking. If that was a real ride, I would absolutely w- love to go on it. It rem- the, the scenes where they're you know on the roller coaster and, and going through you know the, the caves and whatnot remind me a lot of Indiana Jones and the mm-hmm. Temple of Doom with a minecart chase uh, in, in a big way. You know, it's got that same feel to it. They they actually pulled some really cool production stuff right there. Uh, and but I mean I mean it, all for for what reason I don't know. I'm assuming they spent most of their production budget on that scene. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. Uh, so, well, Charles Gordon, like, like we said, he, he ends up having a happy ending at some point and he does marry Mary, uh, Mary's Mary Steen Virgin's character. My third question this is lose big three. Number three, Jason, this is sort of like a film nerd question. Is Mary Steen Virgin the queen of thankless roles? The queen of thankless roles? Yeah, because she's always she, she, great, but it's it's her roles are always tend to be like supporting or background and like it, it's like oh, underwritten. Like the writers don't give her as much as she deserves, in my opinion. Yeah, so she is she is definitely in a thankless uh, role. Um, is she the queen of them? I, I'm, there's there's plenty of other actors that that get written into that role. It's it's mm-hmm. kind of the you know the the girlfriend who expects more of the boyfriend and kind of pushes him to change, which is in a lot of movies. It's, a, it's kind of almost of a cliche. Well put, yeah. Uh, and and it's kind of hard to write for that. Um, it, she she's in you know a few a few roles like that, and and a couple other actors are. Um, but yeah, definitely it's a, it's, she, she could do a whole lot more if the, if the film was written better. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She, for a, for a, I guess a daycare teacher, you know, she, she gets us really put through the ringer. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, we later on in the film, uh, she, gets come on to actually almost she gets assaulted by by charles groden's boss uh played by uh dabney coleman mm-hmm. uh in dabney a very coleman, very role. uncomfortable like back to the future uh uncomfortable rape like kind of scene right 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Dabney Coleman, I love him. He one of my favorite actors, you know, and uh, in all the films he does. My favorite would be War Games that he had had been in. Um, that's a fantastic AI movie, mm-hmm. if, which which we should probably cover on the on in the podcast at some point. Um, but Dabney Coleman has this this I guess running gag throughout the entire film of being bald and wearing toupees, and and uh, at one point he gets his backup toupee because. Uh, because Clifford destroys it, uh, one of his toupees, <laughs> and uh, and it, it's like him with like long, long yeah, and then he and then he gets like the that. Willie Nelson toupee. Um, Dabney Coleman, I, I, when he they first have the Willie Nelson toupee, that's right, yeah. Well, um, Dabney Coleman has that first line about the toupee when they're talking. I'm just looking at Charles Grodin, like, wait, wait, doesn't Charles Grodin also have a toupee? His doesn't look any better. <laughs> so, but yeah, they, she gets uh, Mary Steenburgen gets put through the ringer. Unfortunately, um, in in some very 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 awful uh, uh, sexual assault, uh, which she I guess comes through. I mean, it's to the point where he should probably be put in jail as well. The one thing that scene in the limo sets up a funny gag that Mary Steenburgen, um, when she when she's angrily taking off the necklace and she's like, "I didn't want this stupid thing. I wasn't going to keep this stupid thing," and it like gets sort of stuck around her 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 face. And she just keeps yeah. it there, just like keeps keeps delivering lines with the necklace. Just <laughs> like I thought that was really a good bit, and she played it well. But it's that is one of um, one of three big moments in this movie that I did not care for in a short no. movie. Uh, can you guess what the other two are? Because I think that you and I are probably on the same page about the other two. Oh yeah. The the next one is the the transphobic scene. Exactly. There's two transphobic scenes for me. Yeah, uh, the the big one being when it just comes out of the blue. It is no no uh, no place in the movie. Uh, I can't remember the exact words, but you know, uh, Charles Grodin's character is is uh, um, he's I guess he's displaced over in San Francisco or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he gets he gets uh, led to believe that Clifford is up there, and he he had hopped on a train. Uh, and so Charles Grodin uh, goes on the train after him, uh, only to find out that no, uh, he's actually back at the house. Clifford's back at the house, throwing a party uh, with a bunch of random teenagers who are going to t- t- take him to Dinosaur World in exchange. Uh, he sees Mary Steenburgen's character. He says Sarah Davis at dinner with his boss while mm-hmm. in San Francisco. Uh, this is right before the the sexual assault scene, and uh, a, a couple of of uh, uh, I guess you know, best word to be described would be, be drag queens. I think that's most likely, and I, I wrote down the dialogue. If um, if you're yeah, you can go ahead if you want to if you want to talk about the dialogue there. The, but they they walk by. Yeah, well, she says because it's it's almost like a pop up gag like out of airplane. It's like because she yeah. said this thing, the visual gag appears out of nowhere and then disappears from the movie entirely. And the gag is. She says, I can spot a phony from a mile away. And then these people that are that I would. Yeah, I would say they're they're as the movie is portraying them, drag queens. It's men dressed up as women come up and they say, hey, have you seen a gray dog? And she says, Mary Steenburgen says to them, no, ma'am. And that's the joke. Ha ha. That's the joke. I can spot a phony. But I think that this person wearing makeup and lipstick is a woman. So I said, ma'am. Ha ha ha. Like, ugh. Did not age well. <laughs> yeah, no, did not age well. It's yeah, yeah. But this is also a PG movie meant for kids, so I don't even understand why it's here. 
because that, because that, because Hollywood uh, and well, most of America hated trans people in the in the eighties and nineties. That's why. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that, well, it's not like that's a thing in the past either. Uh, that's the thing. Like, I wanted to talk about that. And there's also the scene at the dinner party. Like, that's the third one that I have an issue. That with. is the third one. Okay. Yeah, no, that's that, also, that, yeah, that is the third one. I agree with you 100%. Like, the joke is it's a man wearing lipstick. And, and yeah, what are you doing? What do you, oh, and then, and then Tim la- being laughed at. Yeah, uh, it's the it, way they yeah, frame it, it with him just well. being laughed at by everybody. Yeah, it does not age well. Um, yeah, the, the, the setting up the scene, uh, Clifford switches out, uh, chapstick mm-hmm. that, that, uh, Martin has, uh, for the lipstick of, uh, um, Sarah's mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause this is the, the dinner that, that, uh, uh, I guess for his mother, uh, her mother and father's retirement, not retirement, uh, mar- uh wedding anniversary. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they're they're very 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 rich. So this is a very very classy dinner with a lot of people. Uh, and over dinner, uh, he puts on the chapstick and realizes it's the it's the lipstick. Uh, he doesn't realize it at first. Everyone at the table realizes it first and starts laughing at him and making jokes about you know him being you know uh, wearing it and stuff. And it doesn't it doesn't age out well as all at all. Yeah, I, I wanted to bring it up because you and I are pretty much the same age and. Um, we grew up with a lot of this, like liking a lot of the same pop culture and media and stuff. And I just want, I wanted to bring this, this up in particular, because this is a thing where like, I really think, um, movies are, our our generation of movies, like movies from the, you know, late eighties, early nineties. This was a very common kind of joke. This was a very common thing to casually put in a movie, even a PG movie. And mm. It's it sucks. Like it really sucks going back and looking at these movies from our childhood and knowing like this is stuff that they were normalizing when we were kids. And it's really affected our perception of the world and like how, you know, like biases that we have that we have to fight against all the time. And we have to constantly like try actively try to to overcome. Um, And yeah. And and again, it goes back to me quietly questioning those people that super super love this movie and i i I hate to do that but but because there's there's themes in it like that that really just upset me yeah um it it doesn't it doesn't pervade the whole movie so i can i can i can forgive people that love this movie and like don't love this part of that movie you know right but i don't think they even know uh or conscious or aware that culturally we've shifted so much away from some of this uh this humor um, you know, whether it's the events that happened in, in, in the, the limo, you know, the, the assaulting boss was a joke. I mean, come on, that's just awful. Right. You know, uh, and, uh, or the, you know, the kind of tongue in cheek trying to make fun of trans people, which is just very, very, very awful. Especially um, since the boss so suffers no from. consequences for his actions. None, none whatsoever. None whatsoever. Yeah. Well, we we don't necessarily have to dwell on those things, but I, I wanted to bring them up so we could sort of like talk about them, maybe get them. Let's let's word it as like get them out of the way so we can focus on the fun stuff in this movie. <laughs> yeah, and and here's um, the thing: like I I as I said, the 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 trifecta of comedy of the '90s, you know, Martin Short, uh, um, Robin Williams, and Billy Crystal. You know, their humor often has a lot of this and mm. in that quick stream of consciousness. Going back and listening to their humor, I love them. You know, I love them 
to death. And and going back and listening to some of their their your humor kind of is cringy at times, even though I they're just they're just amazing in what they do. They're genius. Yeah, I I just went back and um uh, I rewatched the Bill and Ted series, which was around the same time as this, like early nineties. And there's a little bit of like gay panic in those movies that like comes out of out of absolutely nowhere. And it doesn't tank the whole film, but it is a moment that's like, ooh, man, that really didn't yeah. land well. Yeah, I was uh, I was watching uh, Good Morning Vietnam, with Robin mm. Williams, and there's a lot of jokes in there, which is very much gay panic. You know, it's like it. it yeah, it just doesn't age well. And that's still, you know, a, a brilliant 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 movie uh with some very very poignant scenes Mm -hmm. um yeah it just doesn't age well yeah and like i still love the bill and ted series but it's just like if i could if you if they would just let me into the editing room for five minutes i know exactly what i would cut and it's not much it wouldn't affect the whole movie um but i would definitely just cut it (laughs) yep just Um, just cut it yeah uh so that is that is just like the brief um societal problems that I have with this movie. Any other problems that I have with it are just like, just problems that are, that are, I guess like what the fuck is happening right now? (laughs) (laughs) Like I brought up the thing with the dog and then you like kind of find out, but then we don't really get a resolution about the dog. Um, I, cause you know, it's a gag. I don't think they were really thinking about it. There's the whole bit where he changes costumes he changes he like pays a kid for his dinosaur costume in a bathroom (laughs) at a gas station and then the kid just decides to live in the gas station counting his money for the rest of his life until his parents come looking for him what like what's the problem i count my money here what are you talking about (laughs) (laughs) oh my god Jason, um, what what made you what made you go with this movie? So the, the the podcast is called Robots versus Dinosaurs. So why did you want to cover Clifford? Okay, so there's a lot to the movie involving dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Clifford's toy dinosaur named Stefan. Um, I had you know friends growing up like that were young friends that did that. They carried a toy dinosaur around with them. It was I'm, like I'm a one security. of them like a security blanket. I think I had one that actually had a brontosaurus, a favorite brontosaurus that, that they, that they carried around with. And, uh, and it, it's a common thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, those children usually aren't the ones that are, are, that could be serial killers. You know, it's, it's not, it's not that, that type of relationship at 10. Um, I, I don't understand why, uh, the Clifford has developed this way. And while why he knows how to do these things, yeah, uh, it's kind of like I mean I remember watching the film Problem Child, which is another you know Hell Child film. Yes, um, yeah, which kind of like works a little Sue. bit better. Yeah, Curly Sue. Yeah, kind of they they work a little bit better in, in with plot in um, Problem uh, Child. John Ritter's just yeah, in, in John Ritter's so great. Um, and the the this the story progresses a little bit more as he's just trying to get back at dad or something along those lines, or he doesn't like his adopted stepfather. This child just wants to see the world burn. <laughs> and, and you're not wrong. Uh, Mark, not, I'm not wrong about it. And, uh, uh, the, the, also the dinosaur featured Larry, the scary Rex. It's a dinosaur ride that I would have probably loved and gone on. And at the end of the movie, the climax of the movie where, where, <laughs> spoiler alert, um, uh, Ch- Martin uh, 
places Clifford into the Larry the Scary Rex uh, ride and puts it on hyperdrive, you know, sending him around and around m- multiple times through the uh, through the the ride, eventually breaking it. Uh, Martin second guesses saving Clifford. Oh my god! He it's actually so good. considers he actually considers killing him. He actually considers yeah. not just torturing him, not not just not not just you know th- like hurting him by psychological trauma but actually murdering this 10 year old child <laughs> and which in the line is help me uncle martin help me he goes i'm thinking about it it's the best line <laughs> it is the best line and charles groden is exactly who can deliver this line it's i i thought i rewound this part like seven times because was, i was laughing so much i missed the next bits of dialogue every time because <laughs> he's just like, <laughs> i'm thinking it over and like i can't i can't even do the delivery that he does because it's perfect and it's like oh. jason i'm not I, I was considering this movie really made me question like do i is this the movie that is gonna make me justify child murder in my head <laughs> <laughs> oh no because i'm on his this side movie. i'm kind of on on charles groden's side at this point I'm I'm pretty sure there's some parents watching this movie that have troublesome kids are like yes yes let's just put them all in you know a, a dinosaur roller coaster for hours and hours at a time until it breaks. Um, yeah, Charles Grodin plays the same character that he plays in Beethoven. Uh, it's it's kind of like like every scene he's kind of got this kind of wince. Yeah, a wince. That's perfect. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's like like he's he's just touched a hot stove. And like, oh, ouch! Oh, <laughs> it, it doesn't go away. Better, I've never heard, and I don't think there is a better description of Charles Crook. <laughs> Uh, this whole entire movie is just pulling your hand. It's like it's like when you get into the shower, the water's too hot. You hop in, and you go, oh no no no, that's not happening. Yeah, and, and and listeners, if you haven't seen this movie, just look at the just look at the poster for it. Just look at Charles Grodin's face on the poster, <laughs> and you'll know exactly what Jason's what J- Jason's talking about right now. I, I'm assuming that is like the 1990 equivalent of photoshopping that poster. It's pretty awful. It's bad. It's uh, real bad. It's, and it doesn't tell you anything about what the movie is, is going to give you. No, nothing. <laughs> it's it's, it's a bad poster. <laughs> um, but, oh, this is a good opportunity to promote uh, Instagram. If you aren't sure where to find that poster, check out Robots vs. Dinosaurs Instagram because we make a movie poster for every movie that we cover. So um, you can check it out there. Mm-hmm. And I I didn't understand Charles Grodin Martin's uh, training. He designs uh, a ride, and now he's a city planner. Is it just because he's good with carts on tracks? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. I mean, that's the correlation. It's I, I I at first I thought like, oh, he designed the whole dinosaur world, but I don't think that's the case. He designed the ride for it, and that's like a basic version of a whole entire city rail system. So. Like, I could see how his city planner job is an evolution of him starting as, like, a theme park 
ride designer like that that actually yeah. weirdly enough that that tracked for me that made sense to me <laughs> I, mean, I can see if it was a i can see if it was a monorail like it was a uh, disney world you, you designed the monorail yeah. and now you're designing but this is this is like you designed this it's a small world okay here comes the uh mtba like no it's not it's not gonna work like that it but i also didn't understand how he got access to the park late at night just because he designed the ride he knows the security guard and they're like hey go on mr martin it's all right go on in yeah that kind of implies that he goes there all the time right yeah why would he (laughs) why does it require regular maintenance that only he can do i don't i don't think so and i like like an architect doesn't have to constantly visit the buildings that they've designed they've made blueprints for right like and he's not like he's walt disney at disney world he's he just designed this one ride and it's not like he actually likes kids we 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 know that he's lying when he when he's pretending to like kids so it's not like he has like kids that he's going to dinosaur bringing to dinosaur world all the time or anything like that so why why does yes why does the security guard instantly recognize him (laughs) Why, why a lot of things in this movie? Why? You know what? I'll give it, I'll give it this. Maybe when he was working there, he and the security guard like got to be good friends and they've maintained a friendship. Maybe they do like poker games or something. That's as far as I'm stretching to, that's as far as I'm reaching to give it to this movie though. Yeah. Yeah. And I, why also does Clifford pull a home alone with the tape recorder and, <laughs> And record Martin, and then set him up, for, set him up for as a national terrorist as well. It's, why? Why? Pure selfishness. He calls it. He's, he calls it a bomb threat. Yeah, it's so. And it requ- everything, all of Clifford's schemes, like as a ten-year-old, because the movie wants us to believe this is not an adult in a child's body. It is a child. Like everybody, right. rec- everybody, every stranger that meets him recognizes him as a child, but he's a 10 year old capable of very elaborate Machiavellian orchestrated plans and plots and schemes. It's, it's wild. Oh, it's, it's sinister. Like for sinister is for a great a, word for it. A 10 year old that wants to get his way. He's doing it and having more fun not getting his way. He's a uh, calling in the bomb threat was just the tip of the iceberg. Now he has a record. Now, now Martin <laughs> is, has to go to like a, a probationary hearing or something like that. He had to, he, yeah, he, he, I don't understand how he got bail too. I can't remember who bailed him out. Um, Especially yeah. since the end of the movie is him or towards the end of the movie, he on live TV does a demonstration of blowing up the whole city with his model. Like, yeah. So for like from the police's perspective, first this guy calls in a bomb threat. Then he goes on live TV and is like, here is my plan for the city and blows it up. <laughs> Why, this guy would never he'd be living in jail. He would not be marrying Mary Steenburgen. Right. Well, he might after, marry, who knows, but he would be ma- marrying her from jail. And after everything that happened, uh Sarah, you know, still marries him. Yeah. You know, after he clearly is not good with kids. After he has a this awful temper uh, that turns murderous and bloodthirsty, she still's like, "Oh, I forgive you. I just wanted you to know that you know that I want to have a family." And then she marries him. It just it it doesn't make sense. And at the same time, they ask Clifford to be the ring bearer at the marriage. Yeah. After after Cliff, Clifford with some very 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 troubling letters, you know, two hundred eighty seven apology <laughs> letters, which were returned unopened. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, he ends up being the ring bearer. This whole entire story and ending seems very sus. It really does. Like, I don't think any of this ever happened. Yes. Do, okay. So do you, do you think that when he's telling the story to Ben Savage, this is what I was saying before, where I wanted there to be more plot holes. Do you think that he's making up the whole part that he and his uncle reconciled and that his uncle got to have a happy life? Do you think all of that is a fiction that he invented so that this story that he's telling a child to inspire this child has a happy ending? Or do you think any yeah, so part of it is true? I would like that better as a story, like a yeah. fantastical story to persuade a child, which is very much like you said, what Princess Bride is, uh, you know, like it's fantasy, you know, it's just, it goes to extremes, you know, and then, and then we got on the, you know, on the roller coaster ride and we almost died. But your uncle, but my, your, my uncle saved me after he realized how much he loved me and cared about me. You know, something along those lines. Not not we got on the roller coaster ride and I was almost murdered by my uncle. It would so have been it's, it's, it would have been really funny if he was like, and then I died. Then he killed. He let me fall to my death. And then the kid's like, yeah. wait, but you're still alive. Like that would have been a great <laughs> oh, gag. Exactly. Yeah. Someone actually dies and comes back to life because that's the best in, in every story uh, that would turn him into a Jesus character, too. You know, he's resurrected <laughs> by the power and love of Stefan or something like that. Or like Stefan, the dinosaur actually talks, mm -hmm. you know, he's his friend Stefan, you know, uh, it's a little creepy that we have a, a, a grown man age 60 uh, as a as a priest carrying around a small dinosaur. I don't, I don't understand why that that's a thing still. It, it, it at all of his, you know, fatherly duties, uh, in the world, word of the Lord, uh, it's it basically, does he talk to God through Stefan? Is that, is that hmm. what's happening? Maybe, maybe in the future, that's how the priesthood works. <laughs> this sacred relic of a dinosaur. <laughs> well you know uh, says, god, god created dinosaurs they were, they were his first creation before us so maybe that's yeah. he, it, they were meant to be an intermediary between us and god it's really old testament biblical magic it yeah, really is so subscribe to robots versus dinosaurs for more theocracy <laughs> theories <laughs> about the creation of the world we're we're, uh, we're shifting genres we're going from movie reviews to full-on evangelical sermon <laughs> sermonizing <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, so, okay, um, Jason, a question that every episode of this podcast tries to answer is which is cooler, robots or dinosaurs? And this movie, this is actually, this has been a very fun theme of robots versus dinosaurs is a lot of times the dinosaur that's in the movie is a robot. Like it's not a, somebody built a robot to portray a realistic looking dinosaur, but in the movie itself, it is a robotic dinosaur. And so mm. it's both a robot and a dinosaur. Um, so I guess I have like, you've been on the show before, so you know that I always like to ask, what is a robot? What is a dinosaur? And I guess um, part three, which one is cooler? So I'll let you answer yeah. those in any order you want to take them. So uh, as I, I guess, discussed before, my idea of a robot is um, an automated machine uh that performs a task uh, most typically what a human does not want to do or can't do mm -hmm. uh it, it has to be automated so it has to be able to do it independently of of human interaction um doesn't have to be conscious doesn't have to be you know have artificial intelligence uh but it does perform uh some type of automated task uh it it, it could be you know something simple as uh a, a, a 
a robotic arm that that assembles a car in an assembly line, or it could something be something as elaborate as a giant dinosaur named Larry the Scary Rex uh, at the end of a roller coaster, uh, mm-hmm. which which it is in this movie. Um, in or his what friend dinosaur Terry is, the pterodactyl. Terry the pterodactyl, right? Um, what what a dinosaur is? I mean, that's that's a that's kind of a more gray area. Um, some type of uh, prehistory creature prehistoric mm-hmm. creature um before man uh, before recorded time um you know that that lived here on the planet uh earth um they, now there could have been dinosaurs elsewhere in the galaxy i don't know there could have been you know other forms of creatures uh but dinosaurs tend to be when i think of a dinosaur they're the big ones not the little microscopic creatures they're not the small little mm-hmm. kind of lizards or small kind of rodents or um you know fish even it's it's the big ones the mm. big creatures uh um you can i i consider a woolly mammoth a dinosaur um okay because they've been they've been here before us uh yeah they were extinct they they were extinct with you know proto-humans but but they were here for a long time they're massive creatures that we don't see here anymore um that if you saw one today you'd be like wow yes i shock and awe that they exist i accept that yes i think what we're what we're agreeing on is like a woolly mammoth is not we both know it's not scientifically a dinosaur in terms of like classification scientifically right. but but like pop by pop, pop culture uh purposes and definitions right. it is i agree with you absolutely a, a woolly mammoth a saber-toothed tiger these things are quote unquote dinosaurs from our perspective. Right. Yeah. I'm right. with you on that. Yeah. I, I always, when I looked at as a kid, you know, animals that live before us, mm-hmm. you know, uh, before humans, you know, when the saber tooth tiger came out, I was always like, that's no, that's just a dinosaur. Like what? Yeah. That's a dinosaur. Ba- it's just it's basically just a different type of dinosaur. Basically anything that the, the um, power Rangers can summon as a Zord. Right. <laughs> that's, that's right. Any, any type of, uh, any type of you know robot summoned by Power Rangers is also most likely a dinosaur. Yeah, because 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 if we're gonna get into like because I I I've, I'm constantly inviting the uh, the the audience to write in hate mail, um, and <laughs> and so far again I'm always disappointed. The only the only mail I've gotten is like nice mail, which is fine, but I, I want to read your hate mail. Um, I do want to clarify oh, wait, 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 before wait. you send Lou, me hate mail. Lou, you didn't get the. Mm-hmm. What? You didn't get the 287 hate letters that I sent to you? Not yet. They, they were you, know, you probably sent them by um, like by snail mail instead of email, and that's why they haven't arrived yet. Oh, you wrote pro- them... that's probably why they're they're getting returned unopened, yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I do want to clarify for anybody that's listening and doubts that I actually know anything, a pterodactyl is also technically not a dinosaur, so I just want to throw that out there. It it's a flying a lizard. Yep. Um, but it is one of it is one of the Power Rangers Zords. So my argument holds yep. up that, that a dinosaur is anything <laughs> that a Power Ranger can summon and get into as a mech and, and combine it with four others. Yeah, I'm pretty sure all the paleontologists of the world, you know, agree upon that that scientific fact. It's, that dinosaurs it's the only are thing Power they agree on. Yeah, <laughs> it's the only thing they agree. Was it was it a giant meteor that struck the Earth? No, 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 no. Power Rangers dinosaurs yeah, zords it, that's it the was, only thing we can know is certain and that is science like sure it was a meteor but it was one thrown by rita repulsa from her her orbiting space station <laughs> after ten thousand years i've returned <laughs> uh okay so this is not the power rangers podcast but we should cover that movie some, at some point um oh, yeah 
So, okay, so Jason, we've talked about what is a dinosaur, what is a robot, um, and this movie has a robotic dinosaur. Which 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 one is cooler? Like out of the out of the two concepts, robots and dinosaurs, which one do you think is cooler? And in this movie, which one is better represented? So I I uh I as I talked about previously, I think robots and dinosaurs are equally as cool. Okay. Um, I I love them both for different reasons, and as we've had the discussion, one represents the future and technology, and one represents the past. Um, and uh, and I th- I think this movie, the big giant robot dinosaur, actually rep- makes a better makes an equal argument for for both robots and dinosaurs. It's a scary scary dinosaur when it when in, he, he tries to eat uh, Clifford mm-hmm. when when he's falling from the cart, uh, and it's an equally scary. Uh, robot as well like a a machine that's malfunctioning you get some clear terminator vibes when this thing is like chomping up at him still alive yeah Uh, i I was it was invoking final destination for me the way like all the pieces were sort of like falling apart in just the right way to to turn into a death trap yeah it's like the second final destination when they're on the roller coaster yeah and uh yeah the death trap but but uh I remember seeing that scene as a kid and being like, wow, this is really scary mm-hmm. uh, for a PG movie. They're really, they're dangling, they're, they're he- dangling the baby as, as, as it is uh, uh, from the, from the side of, of the, the roller coaster. We, like we talked about the uh, uh, battle for Ragnarok in a previous podcast that we had done a long time ago. And they had that one scene in battle for, was it battle for red, red rock? What is it? What is it? Um, Are you talking about the the Jurassic World short? Um, Jura- yeah, Jurassic the World short. short. Yeah. yeah, Battle at yeah. Big Rock. Big Rock, Battle yeah. at Big Rock. There's that one scene where the date the the baby's hanging from the the car seat, yeah, uh, or the the high chair, in in and uh, and the the raptors are coming around to it. Um, yeah, they dangled the baby. They were raptors or not? They dangled the baby, and that's what they're doing in this movie. He's dangling the Clifford. Dangling the baby. Dangling Although, the 39 year old baby. Yeah, the the thirty nine year old, ten year old, and, <laughs> but in this instance, we want the baby to be eaten by the giant robot. Yes, we do. I, I would be. I would love to hear somebody defending Clifford in this moment and saying that he doesn't deserve this death. But yes, I agree. We want this to happen. Yeah. Yeah, and then the magic of of dinosaurs save him or something like that. <laughs> uh, it, well, it was the magic of. Um, Charles Grodin, you know, I guess coming to, ter- coming to terms with his conscience and, and, and realizing that, uh, as far as he has sunk this, the, up to this point, he doesn't want to go away, um, for the rest of his life for child murder. So I think that's what saves Clifford. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I hope Charles Grodin's character, I hope Martin, uh, gets some help for his anger management. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I hope that, you know, eventually at the end of the movie, he stops making that wincing face. Um, <laughs> and, and maybe, maybe Clifford, maybe he ages in reverse, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe he'll, he'll like, like a Benjamin Button, like, he'll yeah. age in reverse and start looking more normal as he grows up. Um, but, but yeah. Well, th- that, that reminds me of like another movie that came out around this time and you brought up Robin Williams. You, I'm sure you've seen this movie, Jack. Yeah. 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 And that movie is like he's a he's a Clifford sized 
adult who is a child, but he's like, it's Robin Williams and he's 10 years old, but he's, but it's Robin Williams. And there's no conceit that he doesn't look like Robin Williams. No, he, he's supposed to look like Robin Williams. And that's, that's kind of the joke. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this, this is just, let's just run with it. Just run with it. Just go with it. No. (laughs) Um, yeah, I don't understand, uh, Clifford's obsession with Mary Steenburgen, uh, Sarah Davis, like he, he wants to marry her as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird. It's, it's, yeah, it's weird. It's creepy and weird, but ultimately he goes into be a man of the cloth and decides not to wed anyone, I guess. Yeah. I don't know what to make of that. I wish I had something. I wish I had something profound to say about that, but it's just it's it's just Mary Steenburgen comes in and he sees her under the room and has has the reaction that I think most of us would to 1990 Mary Steenburgen entering a room, which is like, "Oh my god, this woman is gorgeous." And just like right. you can't look away. Like she's just so unique looking and she just has this presence and she's just I don't know, she's just very like there's just something about her energy that you're just like, man, I just, I just want to, I just want to be nice to you. I just want to be really, really nice to you. <laughs> right. And, and again, the, the signs that Clifford is a serial killer show up <laughs> his obsession with, with, uh, the beautiful Sarah Davis and his obsession with, uh, Larry, the scary Rex and dinosaur theme parks, the obsession with, I guess hurting his uncle, mm-hmm. uh, getting revenge on his uncle for not taking him there. Like these are not normal child behaviors. These these obviously tell a different story. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of that opening? The opening scene when he's um, going towards the cockpit and he's sort of doing the airplane thing, and there's this one old guy. Like he's he's like quote unquote accidentally hitting everybody in the head with his airplane arms. But then like he gets to this one old guy and he stops like rear, like takes a, what am I, what am I trying to say? He like rears back and takes a full swing at the back of this guy's head. Like it's very, it's, it's conveying that like, no, this, he's not doing this accidentally. He is absolutely being deliberate about hitting all of these people on the head. But in particular, this one bald guy, He's being very extra. He has, yeah. I guess, maybe he has a, a hatred towards bald men. I don't know why. <laughs> this one poor passenger on the airplane gets it even more than the other ones. You're I mean, right. I, I've, I've, I, 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 I mean, to be honest and to be fair, I've thought at times, well, wouldn't I? Wouldn't be great if I just ran down the the aisle of the airplane, just smacked everyone in the head. Thank you, Clifford, for doing it for me. Hmm. Uh, now I know that there's there's no consequences if you're a ten year old that's in, uh, a thirty nine year old that's in a ten year old's body. Yeah. But it, it and it's and and he really is like a terrorist and and a sociopath because like this is all part of his plan to get to the cockpit so that he can figure once he gets there, then he can use his skills to improvise a way to bring the plane down. Like there's no nothing pure about his intentions at any point. And he's always been like that too. So the the little subtleties in the movie that I, re- I love when they get down to the airport, you see you know Richard Kind and Jennifer uh, Savage. Uh, his parents, you see how like haggard they are, how upset they are, how like how they're, they're beat up by this torturous kid. Yeah. You know, like they're being held hostage at times. I can't imagine. 
Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's a good that's a good like shortcut to to um, catch us up on this character and like how he affects the world around him is just seeing, first of all, casting Richard Kind and just the performance that he's giving of just this total exasperation. And he's at the end of his rope. And this is clearly not the first time that he's had to deal with something like this. Um, It's it's perfect. Richard Kind, I, I always like to uh, pepper this in. Richard Kind is one of the few celebrities that I've met in my life, and he hit on me in yeah. a locker room. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, so I'm a big fan of, I'm a big fan of Richard Kind. Yeah, me too. Uh, he, he, his, his body of work is just, it's just interesting. And the things that he does is, is just hilarious. He plays this very specific character that just works. Mm-hmm. Um I would I would be surprised if you wanted to add uh, who would who would be it, it, to the Whoopi Goldberg and Danny DeVito Richard Kind to uh, if you could switch out anyone in this movie with Richard Kind who would it be mm. uh, and why because he's one yeah. of those weird uh, character actors that. It's not not saying it's weird, but unique character actors that that just changes the scene and what's going on. Um, yeah, yeah, he was great. He was he you know he's great in Spin City. You know he 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 was fantastic in this movie and other things that he does. He, I, I Bing don't know. Bong, in Inside <laughs> Out. He he's like yeah. Martin Short. He's like the thing I was saying about Martin Short, where he has this gravity around him. He ha- he has this like bonkers energy that he brings, and you can't look away. And and that's why Richard Kind usually isn't leading a lot of movies, right? He's usually you know, like, I, yeah, yeah. He he get he him getting frustrating, angry, and upset is funny. It's so good. I would I would rather see uh, him in Martin's character. Oh, uh, see, I disagree. It, I, I I yeah. I want to hear your take on that, but I yeah. Like I would I would totally like to see Richard Kind like growing to mad hysteria versus Charles Grodin because Charles Grodin like he's he's kind of creepy when he gets really really angry and upset Richard Kind would be lovable and hilarious I that's a that that is accurate but I think that's the reason I like Charles Grodin in the role because that scene where he's like sitting where he has Clifford sitting down I think it's right after the bomb scare and he gets out of jail um and he and he's just like can you look at me like a normal human person (laughs) (laughs) and and Clifford is just like God, Martin Short is making just every great face that Martin Short can make, every one in his repertoire. And and Charles Grodin just loses his mind and is like, you can't. You can't do it for more than a few seconds, can you? Yeah. And there's that's something the scene that's all over the internet that's apparently improvised. I was gonna say that it's it felt like it. It felt like that was Charles Grodin kind of losing his mind. Like and I and I think that I, I don't know. I think I think that he nailed it. Maybe he was losing his mind over whether this movie would ever be released or not. Oof, maybe. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I could, but I could also see, like, and, and uh, you know, I'm saying this probably because of Problem Child. I could see John Ritter in this role. I could see mm. uh, Burt Reynolds. I could see Burt Reynolds in this role. Burt Reynolds, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, there, who else? Uh, Tom, no, Tom, actually, Burt Reynolds isn't who I was thinking of. It was Tom Selleck, who I confused in my mind for Burt Reynolds. Tom Selleck, okay. Yeah. All right. Cause I, I'd rather see Tom, I'd rather see Tom Hanks in the role, you know, Tom oh, Hanks start slowly moving, losing his mind, because that's always a fun thing to watch. That would work. That would work, like, yeah. Like, 
like the like the movie The Burbs, if you've ever seen The Burbs, you know. Basically, you know, anybody that has like madness. anybody that has Kermit the Frog energy, right? They're just trying to keep it together, but all these things <laughs> keep falling apart around them, and they're and at some point they just throw their hands up and they're like, ah, uh, <laughs> definitely Kermit the Frog energy. <laughs> I, you know what? Why don't we maybe Kermit's we could call Kermit's agent and just cast him in this role? So yeah, he yeah he's doing. Um, I don't know where I heard this, but somebody like introduced this game to me of like if we replaced one character in this whole movie with a Muppet and like every, but like everybody else was a person and there's just one Muppet in the movie. Um, <laughs> I think this is a perfect <laughs> example of like Kermit the Frog in Charles Grodin's role is all that this movie needs. Well, I mean, that's just, just to show you this movie could be replaced. Like, you could replace a Muppet into Clifford's character, and it would still be the same movie. Yeah. Like, it's it's that much of a leap that we're doing, you know, assuming that this, you know, 39-year-old actor is 10. You know, it, it's that much of a of a shock, a suspension of disbelief that we have to do uh, to make this thing work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and since we're talking about ways to improve this movie, and you've kind of hinted towards this question, Jason... It is time for my two bonus questions. Number one, if we did replace two actors or characters in this movie, including Sneakers the dog, um, with Whoopi Goldberg and Danny DeVito, who would you swap out? How would it improve the movie? Um, Danny DeVito, of course, being the the boss, would be would be very very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he would, he w- it would definitely improve the movie. Um, I think because just because he's a different stature, you know, and uh, he's he it, him wearing a toupee would be a whole lot more funny. Yeah, he does it, and it's always sunny. Uh, it, it it's 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 hilarious and brilliant uh, when he puts on bad wigs. Um, and Whoopi like, Goldberg, like when he's uh, who's that art critic Ango Gabloygan? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> It's always sunny. Yeah. With the with the white like hair and yeah. That's that's one yeah. of the best wigs that he wears on the show. Yeah, and um uh Whoopi Goldberg, I mean I mean, she, she I don't want to replace Mary Steenbergen, but she would also be very interesting to be in that character. Uh but I would love to see her in Charles Charles Grodin's character, you know. Mm. Like having to deal with this kid, you know, and, and uh um seeing her is see if she gets had have some descent into madness because of him. Oh my God, um, you're right. May, uh, Whoopi Goldberg hand one hand on her hips, going, "Can you look at me like a normal person?" I'm just I'm picturing that in my head, and it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just her uh, standing by Clifford as he as he uh, goes by in the in the in the cart in the in the in the ride. And then at the end, it's like, save me, save me, Uncle Martin. Or save me, save me, Aunt Whoopi. And she goes, give me a moment. I'm, I'm thinking, thinking it over. Her. I'm thinking it over. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good answers, good answers. Um, I, I I agree with you. Whenever, whenever we do this game, I've realized that a lot of the movies that we cover, especially if they're before, uh, well, I mean, even, even today, unfortunately, but, and um, that uh, I, 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 it's like there's only typically one female role and I don't like to just insert Whoopi Goldberg in there. So I agree. Like, let's leave Mary Steenberg in where she is. Um, yeah. I, I can't think of anything better with Whoopi Goldberg than her being the Charles Grodin character. Uh, 
Danny DeVito, though, that's what that one's a little bit trickier for me because my instinct says Mary Steenburgen, but I just said we want to leave her alone <laughs> um, for the reasons that I said. So I think that I I think that uh, that Danny DeVito as um, uh, what was it? Oh, Richard Kind as Richard Kind as as Richard Clifford's kind. dad. Yeah, I think that's where he would work. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that would kind of have like almost a Matilda vibe to it. Mm. But I think if we put Danny DeVito in Martin Short's character as Clifford, just just go out full out that Danny DeVito playing a ten year old, that would be hilarious too. Yes, and and I want to add this detail, like because because he's Danny, tiny, enough, he is you know? tiny, so he already he looks like a believable. 10 year old maybe but i want him to have stubble like i want i want there to be something that totally <laughs> breaks the illusion that this is a kid and yet like the script is the same characters that that meet him are like oh what a precious child but he has like like two day stubble like that's that's right. my only wardrobe note for danny devito as clifford uh, right he also uh smokes a big cigar as yes. well for some reason and maybe a top hat maybe like his tim burton four foot tall top hat that he always wears you know let's just turn him into the penguin let's just replace there it is clifford with the penguin from batman returns and just call it a day well because i mean you've described clifford as a batman villain and i and i think that's totally accurate so why not add more batman villains in here i mean he's basically the joker right <laughs> basically he's the joker uh he wants to see the world burn mm-hmm. to get his what he wants um yeah he's definitely not the riddler but yeah, he's, he's, he's more of the Joker. He's chaos. I, I, I listened to um, uh, Blank Check podcast, did a, did a uh, episode covering Clifford, and they, they worded this really well. They said that um, Clifford in this movie is basically like the embodiment of a curse that enters your life and you can't get rid of it and like you just kind of have to deal with it. Yeah, this movie is a curse because you're going to have to deal <laughs> with it after you watch it. You're going to keep remembering it, uh, going back to it. You're going to be singing the theme song to Larry the Scary Rex in your head. I'm Larry you the Scary the Rex. I'm a scary dinosaur. But don't be scared of my sharp, sharp teeth or my mighty, mighty roar. <laughs> that song? That's not stuck in my that head. That one? That's not stuck in your head at all. No. <laughs> oh, God. But you know what, though? I, I Like I said, I, did, I really didn't hate this movie. When you suggested it, this is a movie that I've seen in fragments throughout my life. I've seen a lot of, like, this would be on TV a lot, and I would just watch parts of it. And I've never sat down and watched the whole movie all the way through until last night. Um, I'm glad that I did. I actually kind of enjoyed it just for how insane it is. And it does kind of have a nice lesson at the end, which is, if you destroy everyone who stands in the way of your dreams, <laughs> then you end up alone with no dreams at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess that that makes sense. Um, I'm very glad this movie is only 90 minutes. Mm. And uh, I think any any longer and uh, I might have done uh, what Uncle Uncle uh, uh, Walter had done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uncle um, Martin had done. Before I forget, our second bonus question, Jason, and you know what this is. Jason, this is a section of Robots vs. Dinosaurs that we call What's Yo Snack? So, Jason, what's your snack? What, what Did you eat uh, uh, any snacks while you were watching Clifford? You know, I, I had a drink uh, and some, some popcorn. I think I had a glass of wine and some popcorn when I was watching this movie. And immediately I just started 
giggling at at Martin Short's absurdity, like the fact that we have this child in there. And I, and I recommend anyone, if you're going to watch this movie, maybe have a drink beforehand. Mm. It's going to make it a little bit more enjoyable. But of course, popcorn uh, is is still my go-to snack. Nice. Um, he, he, I'm trying to remember, Clifford eats a lot of different things in the movie. He like finds food in the kitchen and, and, and like starts making himself meals. Oh, he eats a big old bowl kitchen. of cereal that Charles Grodin dunks his head, if, like his whole entire face into. <laughs> That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Me, uh, I also had a drink, which led to another drink, which led to another drink. Um, (laughs) Maybe we shouldn't encourage people to watch this movie. It's going to cause alcoholism. Yeah, but my snack was uh, I actually had some leftover mac and cheese uh, from this great place called Andy's Cafe. Shout out to Andy's Cafe. If you want to sponsor the show, uh, contact me, robosvdinos at gmail.com. Um, of course, but, shameless plug. Shameless plug. Well, for somebody that's not even sponsoring, but it's really, really good mac and cheese in Astoria. And I thought it was actually kind of appropriate watching this movie about a 10-year-old because I feel like Clifford would be into like mac and cheese or it's something that he would like demand that an adult yeah. makes for him for dinner or something. Yeah. So it was the right yeah, Only eating mac and cheese. Yeah, good choice, good choice. Yeah. Now, if it was the dinosaur mac and cheese from Kraft Mac and Cheese, that would be pretty good, too. Oh, man, that would have been super on theme. Did you answer which one you think is cooler? Or I guess l- let me word it in my plus one, neutral, minus one way of asking the question. In this movie, yeah. um, both robots and dinosaurs, so you need to give a score for each one, would you give them a plus one, minus one, or neutral? Okay, so I'm going to give the movie a plus one for robots and a plus one for dinosaurs. However, a minus one for movies in general, if that could make sense. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> okay. So the robots win, the dinosaurs also win, but the movie, but it's uh, alien but Eddie- versus predator. Whoever wins, we lose. Right. Exactly. So maybe it's a minus one for the audience for watching this movie. <laughs> yeah. God, the, I, I'm looking at the poster again, and it just sucks so much. The tagline, the tagline is, <laughs> Uncle Martin is suffering from a little problem. Clifford, a comedy with a lot of laughs and a 10-year-old terror. And really, 10-year-old terror is underselling. It's terrorist. And it's, it, it's like, that. even that's not enough. Right. It's not enough to describe the, the chaos of this child. Um, I remember being a kid... And one of the other dinosaur themes that got stuck in my head was Denver, the last dinosaur. Mm, he's that? my friend and a whole lot more. Yeah. And, and that just that whole entire song is another earworm that'll get stuck in your head. Like, like the Larry, the scary Rex in this, in this movie. Mm. Yeah. That and the um, big red commercial, which I'm not going to sing because it will <laughs> perpetually live in my head rent free. If I do um, yeah. more, even more so than it already does. Um, <laughs> maybe I can find like a little clip of the audio of that commercial and play it at the end of the podcast. Uh, yeah. people don't but know to, what we're talking about. Any, right. And to anyone who loves this movie, I apologize for, for, for pooping on your dreams. Um, but maybe you enjoy park benches with poop on them. I don't know. Or sand or poop sandwiches or poops, <laughs> poop sandwiches. Yeah. Uh, man, I have literally one other thing written down, which is that dance scene when Clifford inexplicably is able to invite a whole house full of teenagers over to his uncle's place to trash it. Um, did you get like Austin Powers vibes from like Martin Short's Martin Short's kind of solo dance moves that he was doing in that scene? 
yeah, this seems like something Martin Short would have done at a house party, mm-hmm. you know, with friends or something like that. And they thought it was so funny. They're just going to put it into a movie. Yeah. You know, like they, the whole entire, the whole entire movie seems like a bit that someone would do at a friend's house for fun as a joke. Let's make an entire movie out of it. Yeah. And, uh, and that kind of makes sense that dance sequence there. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, all the, all the acts that, that Clifford does is what that guy at the party does that no one really likes, you know, he's, mm-hmm. he's, pours out someone's drink and puts Tabasco sauce in it <laughs> and forces someone to drink it, you know, and, uh, you know, swaps out chapstick for lipstick or, mm-hmm. you know, eats the food that's not theirs because it's not even their house. You know, it, uh, sends someone to go get something, you know, in, uh, in a different town by when and saying they're there, but they're not, <laughs> that's, this is something that, you know, a, a bad guest would do. Yeah. At a house party. Yeah. Uh, Jason, do you have anything else to say about 1994 slash 1990s Clifford starring Martin Short? I hope they never make a sequel. <laughs> do you think that, I really do? Do you think there's any threat that they will? Uh, well, I, I don't know what other further tale that will, will be told by Father Clifford. You know, where 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 Stefan and Clifford go after these events. You know, he's only ten. Yeah. So there's probably something that happens that brings him to, you know, becoming a, a priest. This movie, I don't, I doubt there's any danger of there being a sequel or a reboot because this movie made something like seven million dollars. Um, I think like yeah. worldwide, and it cost probably twenty or thirty million. So yeah, and it, it was shelved for four years because yeah. of the death of Orion Pictures. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm I wonder if the film was released only because of Jurassic Park, because of Dinosaur becoming back in fashion. Mm, possibly. Yeah. Uh well, uh Jason, thanks for, for being a returning guest on Robots vs. Dinosaurs and bringing a, a, a movie that was both fun to watch and fun to talk about, if not um if not a good movie. Yeah, my pleasure. I had a good time. Uh, hating this movie and I appreciate you letting me hate it with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully the next movie we can review will be one that we, we can love together. Yeah. I insist. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to insist on that. Uh, maybe it'll be, maybe it'll be Terminator two. Um, that is, that is one of my favorite all time movies. So I would be thrilled to cover Terminator two or uh, what was the other one you suggested? War games. War Games, yep, that'd be a great movie that we can discuss. Uh, and and uh, of course, we still have to get into Short Circuit. Oh my gosh, we still have to get into Short Circuit. Yeah, Short Circuit. That's one that it, it like we keep teasing it. Um, a lot of uh, I've had a few people request to do it, and then they kind of cancel on me or scheduling doesn't work out. Um, you and I have talked about covering it, so like, yeah, that is that is the elusive white whale of this podcast. Uh, is the Short and, Circuit and the, series the other? The other bonkers movie, which I absolutely adore and love, being Super Mario Brothers, of course. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. Um, but just a reminder for everybody, listeners, in case you're wondering, like, how this podcast gets made, uh, I, I do not pick the movies, as evidenced by this movie today. Um, the guest, <laughs> I always insist that the guest chooses what movie we're going to be talking about, and then I just let the... I just hand, handle the chaos that appears from there. That's that's right, Lou. You, you suffer through movies because of us and you appreciate it. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Uh, well, Jason, I am notoriously bad at wrapping up at the end and saying goodbye I don't because I hate to say goodbye to people. So can you give us an outro? Can you say goodbye to our listeners for, uh, for this episode? Mission accomplished, old friend. 
It's like, what's the problem? I counted my money here. What are you talking about? Are you an admirer of art? Do you want to know the creators of the art you love today? Then you should listen to the Postmodern Art Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to giving artists who are wowing the world over the platform they deserve. Sit down with your favorite artists as they discuss their passion. I couldn't have lived without art, I don't think. It's like my whole life. Hardships. My payment before was like around $50 a week. What? Heartfelt moments. I recently actually got a message about some of my drawings and somebody saying, oh, my kid really, really appreciated those. And they've been drawing ever since she started doing those things. And that, that, that makes me feel really good. And some fun in between. You gotta make me tear up already. Gotta uh. cry. <laughs> <laughs> the Postmodern Art Podcast. New episodes every Thursday on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most podcast platforms.